<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And I would like to take a second here to shout out our Patreon account and to just remind you all listeners once again that if you would like to support us and all of our endeavors here at Talk Movie to Me, you can feel free to head over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome to gain access to our special episodes that are exclusive for you Patreon listeners and also all of our back catalog. We will be referencing a director whom we talked about in an earlier season. We'll be referencing films that we talked about in an earlier season that you just can't hear unless you become a patron. This week's episode is dedicated to Allison, who is one of our favorite patrons (laughs) and Helen's mom. And (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for your support. She's not my mom, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And this week, it's extra large popcorn time because we have a double feature for you. Woo! First up is the Apple original film CODA. Directed by Sean Hader, the title CODA is an acronym for Child of Deaf Adults. And this film is actually a remake of the 2014 French film La Famille Bellier, directed by Eric Larsico. So CODA centers around Ruby, a teenager who is the only hearing person in her family. Her and her brother wake up at the crack of dawn every morning to assist their fisherman father haul in the daily catch, and Ruby helps to negotiate a fair price with the local fishmonger. At school, Ruby joins the choir and discovers her love and talent for singing. Her music teacher encourages her to audition for the Berklee College of Music, which is not exactly what her family had in mind for her future. Coda asks the question, when entering into adulthood, how does one strike a balance between staying true to their roots while also branching out on their own into the noisy world? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, First impressions, Edison. Right, so... My first impression, um, well, I, I, lo- I thought that this movie opens in such a great way. We see them at work. We see them doing what they're doing. That song is playing. Song's got a hold on me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a, it's like a really joyful, uh, upbeat song. Um, I just loved it. And I love this little town where they live, probably because it reminds me of home. Mm. And I also felt like it this film kind of very quickly establishes the relationship between these characters and also the movie's like delightful sense of humor. Cause right off the bat, we see how she signs, Hey, shit face to her brother. Mm. And then he signs back twat waffle. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I did not know that ASL was just so verbose, but that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you? what did you think Sinclair? 
Well, I actually didn't expect the tone to feel like so Disney at first. This felt <laughs> a lot more lighthearted than I was expecting. But I think that has to do with these types of stories really focusing on pain and suffering when it comes to underrepresented members of different communities. So there was something that was already refreshing about how this began. And, mm-hmm. and the tone of it. And you can already feel that, you know, maybe you're able to learn about these struggles, but also see the beauty and the joy that is part of this family's everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the opening, um, but I couldn't help but think, like, they must be so stinky all the time. Yeah. With all those fish. <laughs> like, that did not look like... A job I would ever want to do. <laughs> well, and me, definitely not me. I'm not a seafaring person at yeah, all. Yeah. No, I can just imagine you like with all those squiggling, wriggling fish. It's incredible. Yeah. Having to I stab them. I also get seasick them as well. Mm. So oh, just, just all around not a job I could do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we get into the storytelling of Coda? I feel like the... I think that this is like, I honestly didn't really know what to expect coming into this film in terms of the tone. Like you said, Sinclair, Mm -hmm. it starts out with this very kind of Disney tone in it. And it sort of maintains that throughout in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It definitely like verges on being almost saccharine and silly at times and a bit cheesy, but it also has so much heart and is very much this like story. I think there's a lot of coming of age sort of cliches that uh, are in this film. Um, but I just didn't mind any of them because mm-hmm. I found the character so endearing and the story so sweet and I really liked it. Yeah. What did you think? Helen? Uh, yeah, this movie's fine. I mean, this is a fine movie. Do I think this is an Oscar caliber movie? Absolutely not. Uh, I think this is a movie that could be like on the family channel and like the family could watch it and it could be sweet and nice. I'm kind of surprised this is getting the amount of praise that it's getting. I I think my biggest criticism in terms of storytelling is that there just isn't any nuance in this story or anything unexpected. Like, I could have told you exactly how this movie was going to play out from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Nothing surprised me about this movie. Mm -hmm. Sinclair? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some cheesy aspects to the story and it, it does feel very Disney in parts. But I think that like overall in terms of storytelling this movie is quite touching and it's really endearing i also have never thought or explored this subject matter before i've never thought about the dynamic in a family where there's only one hearing person Mm -hmm. and what does that day-to-day look like and how does this affect the difference in bonding with their their children and Mm -hmm. the responsibility that it that it puts on a hearing child so this was really new for me in terms of that i i didn't know anything about you know child of deaf adults I've I've Mm -hmm. never thought about that lifestyle before so in that way I found this really interesting even though this film is like quite lighthearted I also enjoyed the fact that it was lighthearted because it shows you the struggle of this family but it also shows you what are the strengths of a family like this at the same time. So I thought it was like well-balanced, like showing the struggles, but also showing the joy. And it was it was endearing. Yeah, I agree with you about the story. So, you know, Poppet, my friend, 
mm-hmm. his husband Benji is Akoda. Mm. And mm-hmm. it, he actually wrote a pilot for like a sitcom that he had was trying to shop around in the UK a mm. couple of years ago about his life, and it's really mm. fascinating. And one there was one little moment in this when she's in her bedroom where she like screams out mm. all of her kind of rage, and mm-hmm. he I just couldn't stop laughing because he's literally told me that that's what he used to do as a kid. His, his <laughs> family great. couldn't hear. He would just yeah. like walk in the other room and curse them off at the top of his lungs, <laughs> and they just couldn't hear him. So it was like a, a really just interesting little stories like that. But you're right. Like I think to what you were saying, Helen, I think part of why this is getting so much attention is because it's just, it is a story that we haven't really seen. Now, the story itself, you're right, in terms of the coming of age element of it and just kind of the predictability of the plot, totally. But it's all, all also like, okay, those cliched themes, but what if you had this on top of just your everyday being a teenager? Well, yeah, <laughs> you know? I actually think that that's what's really interesting, right? Because there's always that push-pull dynamic with the like coming-of-age theme in films, right? It's because it's great for conflict. And I think that in this film, that tension is really well done because Ruby, our main character, we really understand that her internal conflict really, really well. And, you know, she's in this hard place where she's like, wants to be a singer and have that dream, but she's also going to leave her parents high and dry because she's basically their like free live house like interpreter. And mm. that is like the dynamic of that coming of age thing. Like you were saying, Helen, someone has to go out and find mm-hmm. their independence, mm-hmm. but they're also torn to stay at home. Mm-hmm. And I also really liked that her family wasn't like supportive and they were very much like, trying to convince her to stay and using whatever tactics that they could, like trying Mm -hmm. to be manipulative and guilt-tripping her and all of the rest of it. So not only did she have to fight with her own self for that independence as, like, her guilt or whatever, but also had to, like, fight against her parents. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I just didn't buy it. (laughs) I don't... And this is what I mean when I say I, I didn't feel there was any nuance. I felt like when we were seeing this family... It was being displayed to us what this would be like if it was this family. I didn't feel like this was a lived-in real family. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was very overtly being like, look how much we need this hearing person in our family to get anything done. And like as if they wouldn't have thought about the fact that maybe she's not going to be there all the time. Like it just didn't, to me, it felt, it just felt really forced. And I, I didn't like that they weren't supportive, like supportive of her wanting to do something other than be on her dad's fishing boat like to me it felt not layered character choices for the family I liked her I liked Ruby and I thought that was a great performance we'll get into that later but Mm -hmm. her family felt a little bit more like caricatures than real people to me if I could compare it to a movie that I think really successfully uh, showcases the deaf community it would be Sound of Metal uh, yeah, but those aren't the same in any way. Like the tones aren't the same. That that's that's one thing where it's like that is a very hard watch, bleak type of story where the tone in this one is just not that. It's this one is meant for families to sit and watch, like kids yeah, to watch, yep. teens to watch, adults to watch. You know, you can't really show a kid sound of metal. That movie to me how I was seeing that world and I understand that they're completely different tones but I felt like I was watching 
that experience. And Paul Racy, for example, was a child of deaf adults. And that was actually the first time I had heard that term was looking up his performance in that movie. Um, but it, to me, I just, I, I enjoy watching something where I, it feels like an authentic experience to me. And this just didn't feel like that to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, there's ways of doing that with happy-go-lucky tones that aren't, feels glossy or feels, you know, Disney-ified, I suppose. I wonder if it was, I think that part of that might have to do, like, I think that there's two elements there of this film that might be contributing to that as well. And one is more of a technical element that we'll get into later mm. in terms of the way it was shot. And then another one might just be the comedy. Like there was the, mm, and yeah. there were elements of the film that I did think were funny, but the comedy was very much like try. Mm-hmm. Like it, it felt a yeah. little forced and exaggerated at times. And that might be part of what's contributing to, to what you, what you're expressing, right, which right, is feeling right. like they yeah. weren't like kind of real people in that way. I can kind of get that. And it is worth noting as well that all of the deaf characters in this film are actually deaf actors in real yeah. life as well, which is really cool. That was one of the criticisms of the original French film. Uh, the three deaf characters, only one person was actually a, a, a deaf person. The original film got criticized for that. So it it is great to see that 100%. I'm glad that that, that representation was there for this movie. Mm-hmm. I really like the father-daughter scene when they're sitting mm-hmm. on the truck. Yeah. And she sings him the song and... I, I mean, a father-daughter scene just gets me. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's a way of communicating between the two that mm. I just, I don't understand personally, right? So it's it's interesting to see that, that bond and the, that communication come through in that scene. And another thing that I kind of appreciate about that too, and about another about this film in general, is I think like a lot of the time with deaf characters or in film or whatever, there's always seems to be like around music like in sound of metal mm. for example because it's like mm-hmm, that's the yeah. one thing you know if i was going to go deaf it'd be like oh my god i could never hear whitney singing again or whatever mm. it's like that's <laughs> your biggest fear is not hearing music so i actually liked how this film kind of sh- showed what a deaf person's experience of music was like and they showed it in kind of three different ways at the mm. beginning when like the father's picking her up at school and has the like right. rap music blaring and you've got that bass so he's experiencing what it feels like the rhythm and then that scene that you just talked about at the back of the truck where he's like holding her throat mm-hmm. and he's he's feeling her singing mm-hmm. and then also when they were you know when she's doing her their duet at the variety show at the end the little concert and it it cuts the silence and the family's there and Mm. then they're experiencing it through the expressions and the experience in everybody else's face in the audience and I thought that that was actually really effective I appreciated Mm. that yeah well let's just chat about this being an Oscar contender Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because this is interesting it's really not something that you would necessarily think would be an Oscar contender I Mm -hmm. feel like the Oscars, I think, have a chance to keep moving forward with embracing films that show the importance of this time. The The thing about the Oscars is it actually can bring attention to smaller movies and movies mm-hmm. that explore issues that aren't really being explored in film or have, who have long been not explored, especially with this movie with like Coda is, you know, it's on Apple TV. It's lost in this sea of other streaming movies Mm -hmm. and do you think that this movie and this subject matter would even be getting the attention it is if it didn't have that oscar nom attached to it 
Well, it did get a lot of attention at Sundance. I think mm-hmm. it, it opened Sundance. But, but Sundance, I mean, like the regular viewer isn't really paying that much attention to who's winning at Sundance, right? Mm. No, totally. But I think the point is that it's it was something that people were cheering for and that critics were cheering for right out of mm-hmm. the gate. So it had that momentum right from the beginning as like a sort of a fan favorite amongst the people who are, you know, going to festivals and and like watching these early screenings of films. I, I don't know. It is an interesting question. I guess, do you feel like maybe the Oscars are sort of like, like it's pandering a bit to kind of contemporary no, I culture? No, oh. I don't think it's pandering. I think that the Oscars have the opportunity to actually do some good and shine some mm-hmm. light on different movies that need that light, you know? Yes. I just don't think the story is very interesting. I think that there is a way to show the experience of a child of deaf adults that could have a more captivating story than this. I just, if you take away the fact that that she is the only hearing person in a deaf family, this movie is nothing special. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if that's enough for it to be a high caliber movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there haven't been the opportunity for a lot of high caliber movies about this. Right. I don't know. I think that the Oscars also do like a lighthearted movie in the mix. Yeah. As well. Like, yeah. I don't think this is a best picture winner at all. No. I think it has a place <laughs> at the Oscars in terms of relevance and importance. It's mm-hmm. not a better movie than The Power of the Dog. It's mm-hmm. not as complex. It's it's not as skilled in terms of its story or its directing. Mm-hmm. But right. I definitely think that there's a spot there in terms of, of importance and relevance mm-hmm. for movies that came out this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more important than West Side Story. Right. It's actually more important than Belfast, <laughs> to be honest. So and, and I guess in terms of <laughs> if you're if you're talking about like highlighting stories that aren't and haven't been given this space, then yes. Yeah, I, I could absolutely agree with that. Yeah, um, it is. And there is a place for that. I think it's interesting when you compare it against the other films in the category, right, like Belfast and whatever, where where. It just really shows where this film is lacking very dramatically. Mm. Like, I think in mm-hmm. pretty much all technical aspects, it's like really very much a made for TV style film, mm-hmm. um, like of that caliber, in my opinion. I think, though, that it did really work for me in terms of the characters and the performances. I did mm. mostly like the characters, her. I really liked Ruby. Yeah. I thought she was a yeah. fantastic character. I thought. The script gave her and the story gave her a lot to work with, actually, and a fair amount of depth. Like there were again, it's like everything comes in threes, but she had these sort of like three major obstacles that she needed to kind of overcome. One was her the classic that we talked about, the coming of age thing with her own independence. And then it was her vulnerability and her self-consciousness about actually chasing the thing that she wants, like her passion for singing. I thought that's very relatable. You know, that scene at the beginning when she is first in front of the choir, she just takes Mm. off. Like, and then even the romance. And the romance, I'm glad that that wasn't a major focus in this film Mm, at all. That it was more of a little side story. But it was interesting. It gave, Mm -hmm. it revealed another element of her personality and who she was and gave her something else to kind of overcome. So I thought that that was good. And it gave me a kind of a full character, which I appreciated. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's uh, allow that to bring us into performances. So let's talk about um, Amelia Jones. Mm. She was definitely my 
favorite part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did learn American Sign Language for this. She took singing lessons. She learned how to do all the fishing boat stuff. <laughs> um, and she, yeah, she was definitely the most well-rounded character. And um, she had such a presence and a uh, ferocity to her performance mm-hmm. that I really appreciated. Uh, yeah, she is what made this movie work for me. Hmm. I agree with that. And and I think that she, she really needed to, right? She is yeah. the film. Yeah, and yeah. so if she wasn't if it if she wasn't working, then this film absolutely would not be getting the attention that it's getting. Mm-hmm. Um I agree with you fully. She she was very grounded. She was very mm-hmm. much a real person. And I liked her strength and her kind of fighting for herself. And it is incredibly impressive that she learned ASL over those nine months yeah. enough for now. Maybe if I were a deaf person watching this film, I would be able to tell that she, that's not yeah, you know maybe. her first yeah. language. Um, but for I'm not, and so for me, mm-hmm. it was just like very impressive. I thought it mm-hmm. her what she was doing flowed just naturally and seamlessly with the other actually deaf characters and actors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I always find like that that's so impressive to me mm-hmm. like signing and acting yeah at the, the the same time and it seemed so natural see I figured she just knew it I figured right that she yeah, knew yeah. It. It's, but yeah. the fact me that too. she learned it in nine months or so I think that's so impressive because mm-hmm. she actually believably looked like someone who lived in a family like that and has been doing that to communicate her entire life yeah yeah <laughs> And then, but in terms of actually using that to communicate for their whole life, Troy mm. Kotzer, who plays their dad, Frank, he's nominated mm-hmm. for an Oscar for mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor. Um, and, and he won the SAG. And he won the SAG Award, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit of an upset because mm. he because Cody had won every single award so far. That's so interesting, though, because how... What is the more difficult performance? Mm. I mean, The Power of the Dog is a better movie and it's a better script and it's definitely a darker character that Mm. that Cody plays. But at at the same time, this is a certain style and level of acting that is quite, it's quite difficult. You're acting with people that you can't necessarily communicate in the same way. It's a completely Mm. different thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I did enjoy his performance. I much preferred his performance to Marley Matlin's performance. She felt, she just felt like such a caricature to me. Mm. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I, I, she was, I don't know. It, that performance, I took a little bit of issue with that performance, but um, no, I thought he was good. I, yeah, I just don't think the writing in this movie is good enough for anything to be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do think he's good. Yeah. I liked his performance. I thought mm-hmm. that he was really compelling. You know, I thought that he was, he basically stole every scene that he was in because he's just so expressive. Mm-hmm. But where he was most expressive was actually in ASL. The way that mm-hmm. he was describing like the sex <laughs> actions right. and all of that, I was just utterly fascinated Mm. actually i was like wow it's just so wildly complex and amazing to watch this person just describe an entire physical activity through his hands and the expressions on his face and fun little sounds like it was Mm. a very full-bodied performance and i really appreciated that um with that being said i do agree with you helen a lot of the writing was like kind of 
cliche G to PG. Than, like, yeah. yeah, and so it did it did definitely it was difficult sometimes it verged just on a bit like cheesy and campy almost. Right. Yeah. Um but yes, I, I did I nonetheless was really impressed by it. That's the interesting thing about this film too, is because it is quite cheesy and like corny mm-hmm. in parts. And then there will mm-hmm. be moments that kind of hook you into the emotion. I found that at the beginning of this film I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is nice, but uh, <laughs> all right, that's fine. And then by the end and I started feeling a little teary-eyed. Like mm. I started to like hook into their relationships a lot more. And I found that there were some really nice moments that by the end, mm. I was like, okay, you cut, you won me over by the end. Mm. I feel the exact same way. They actually yeah. almost <laughs> lost me throughout the middle. I was yeah, like, okay, this is middle. very Lifetime movie yeah. or something. Yeah. And then I started to buy in and I was yeah. in tears multiple times near the end. Hmm. Not that that's yeah. saying much, as we know, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's saying a lot for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, you know in terms of Marley Matland, it's interesting because really she has been one of the biggest deaf actresses, mm-hmm. you know, since mm-hmm. the 80s. At this point in her career, she's very much like an advocate for mm-hmm. getting parts for other deaf actors now. Mm-hmm. Like she has had to push really hard to get things made. And in, in movies, have actual deaf actors be cast. I talked about her on an episode that we did, yeah. episode 52. This is going a long ways back. <laughs> wow. And we basically had this theme of iconic women, like trailblazing mm. women and, and uh, these actresses who had really made a difference. And I talked about Marley Matlin and Children of a Lesser God. And at the end of that segment, I felt a little like, I don't know how... I can end this Mm. well because the Mm. struggle was still so real and Mm -hmm. she had success winning this Oscar, but at the same time wasn't making that much progress throughout the rest of her career. It's really interesting that this has kind of like come full circle to talking about her again. And she's been on all these different award shows and talk shows. And this film is going to be at the Oscars now. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. like this cool full circle thing where, you know, it's taken a really long time for her to get back to that stage again. It's a positive thing. But at the same time, it's like, oh, it's been a while. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. totally. But also at the same time, I agree with Helen that that character, I wish that that for that story to really come full circle, that that character had a been more and been better i thought that it was pretty thinly written and Mm -hmm. she didn't have much to work with there Mm -hmm. and it was Mm -hmm. just kind of basic i I really was hoping for more from her yeah Yeah. she did have a good scene with her when they were talking about the day she was born yeah whether or not she hoped she was deaf or not because i i mean i never thought about it in terms of uh, of same would you would a parent who's deaf want their child to be deaf like Hmm. can they say that to their child who's hearing Hmm. like what does that feel like Mm -hmm. yeah so what about in terms of technical for me i think that was where this film really failed more than anything particularly the way it was shot i thought that the Mm -hmm. cinematography was just totally basic and unremarkable in this and i think that it actually did a real disservice to the film like for for all the charm of the story and these characters there was nothing in the technical elements that really supported that. There was nothing mm. to kind of back up and highlight the like heart of this movie 
or even the honest conflicts and tension either. Like, I don't remember a single sort of memorable shot or moment visually in terms of lighting or angles or anything like that. Yeah. And when you think about other films, like, think about Little Miss Sunshine, totally different... Mm you know content but and and like starkly different in terms of humor but sort of family e <laughs> and like i just think about the visuals of that film and the way that it felt this just was very that was what i was saying earlier helen i feel like mm. that also contributed to this feeling very much like a a tv film made for two tv mm-hmm. movie yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was that's the thing yeah. is it 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 was it's just not it's not cinematic yeah. Right. But but that's where I think in in general that this could have been so much more successful. Yeah. Like I do think the story is interesting. I think that perspective is interesting and I think it was told from the most generic basic filmmaking perspective possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's what bothers me cuz I wish it were stronger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it would yeah. be a different right. film. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it just wouldn't be this particular film, but maybe mm-hmm. this film will actually help launch the film that you're looking for right right. yeah Mm -hmm. well was that your last words (laughs) was that the was that the final word on coda i I suppose that could be my last word yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh what about you sinclair yeah i mean this is a light-hearted family-friendly movie it has some cheesy moments it has some endearing moments and it has some genuinely touching moments i think that this is an okay film for anyone to just watch and enjoy you can watch this at home root for it at award shows and you're supporting something good with this film and hopefully we see more of these stories maybe with some better cinematography i don't know but yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's just it's a sweet film it's 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 Mm. it's a sweet film yeah yeah for me the last word was that Yes, I think that there was definitely moments of this film that were very predictable and sort of verged on cheesy. We could see those beats coming a mile away. (laughs) Um, But the heartfelt moments were mostly just so sincere for me. And there were enough like genuinely moving moments that I was brought to tears a few times throughout it. And I did really enjoy this. I think this is definitely a very, this is a film that like, very broad audience mm. can enjoy yeah. and find something yeah. to enjoy. It's heartwarming. That's everyone. what it is. Yeah. It's heartwarming for sure. Oh, mm. actually, what, something cool about Coda is that for this, this film has had theatrical release and mm. every single theater that it plays in, it has open captioning throughout the film oh, as well. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yes. So it's for the deaf audience so that deaf audience members can enjoy it. That's like actually that. huge. Yeah. Oh, Texas City, mid-afternoon, interior Greyhound bus. Mikey Saber, Simon Rex, is bruised, beaten, and broke. 
passed out on a bus barely able to scrounge up enough for a one-way ticket. He's running from God knows what and God knows who. He's leaving the city of angels and being chased out by his demons, and the only place he knows to go is home. He jumps off the bus and hoofs it across town all the way to his ex-wife Lexi's house. Will she take him back, or will she be telling this stray tomcat bye-bye-bye? <laughs> she gives in, and Mikey smooth-talks his way back into her life and into her bed. But this tornado of a man is far from changed, and Mikey Saber starts doing what he does best. No... Not that, okay. Well, a little bit of that. No, okay, a lot of that. I mean, a lot. A lot, honey. A lot. But size ain't everything. But really, he's living in the moment and seeing potential wherever he goes, and even if it means using people and destroying lives along the way. Mikey's shtick gets stale faster than a day-old sprinkled donut. But don't worry, he's a smooth-talking mover and shaker. And when he hits his mark, the world better get ready for a money shot. He strikes up a romance with Strawberry, Susanna's son. She's 17, wants to get out of this town, and has so many stars in her eyes, it puts dollar signs in Mikey's. Yes, this is Sean Baker's new film, Red Rocket. And it's the demolition-style odyssey of Mikey Saber. And we haven't seen a lead character so chaotic, so deplorable, and so narcissistic since Uncut Joms. <laughs> <laughs> Red Rocket asks a question. In the long con porno that is the American dream, where beggars can be choosers, and we breathe the intoxicating air of gypsies, tramps, and thieves... Are you a suitcase pimp or the fluffer making them great again than cleaning up the mess? <laughs> wow, All that's right. an epic intro. Okay, well, yeah, this is Sean Baker's new movie, Red Rocket, starring Simon Rex, former MTV VJ, heartthrob, rapper, rapper. X-rated star, media fame monster. <laughs> He's done it all, this man. Hmm. Okay, first impressions, Edison. So I definitely appreciated the bye-bye-bye throwback <laughs> for sure. And the tour around this tiny little industrial town. Ugly and scary and just like, I don't know. It's just was really unique. And this song opens with that sing-along song, like Coda. So although that's pretty much where the similarities between these two movies end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was totally intrigued to learn more about this character, right? When I, at the beginning, I, we all were obsessed with Florida Project. So I was very much looking forward to this film. Yeah. How about you, Helen? Yeah, definitely looking forward to this. I um, love Sean Baker. I loved the Florida Project. And yeah, this opens with Simon Rex on that bus with Bye 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 playing. And I never would have thought that that would be how this movie opens. Why? Mm. You know, why in sync? Why bye bye bye? And then it got me thinking like, oh, this guy could totally have been like an ex-boy band member. And mm. then it just got me thinking about like, what could his backstory be? And uh, it really put me in the headspace of like, I think we're in for quite a character. Mm. And I'm <laughs> looking forward to see how this unfolds. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Sinclair? <laughs> well, you know, right away I was looking at Mikey and I'm thinking two things. <laughs> Why doesn't this man have any kind of bag or suitcase? Right. And two, 
Simon Rex is looking pretty damn good for his age, I must mm-hmm. say. And I liked him when he was in M- on MTV. I always thought he was just like so cute. <laughs> I was irritated at first that this man had no bag, but then I started thinking about, okay, well, he is clearly coming from something very chaotic, Uh and that really paints a picture of the possible disaster that he's coming from Mm -hmm. when he gets into Texas, knocking Mm -hmm. on those doors. Yeah. Well, and right away, like, he goes to Lexi's house, and it's so apparent that there is this history between him and these two women. You're uninvited. (laughs) Very much not welcome at that door. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, storytelling, I guess. Yeah, storytelling. Edison, I don't think you liked this movie, so why don't you just lay it out there? (laughs) Okay, so I have been leaning into that (laughs) a little bit just for the (laughs) sake of drama and our text. The truth is I didn't actually dislike this film okay (laughs) i just generally felt a little let down Mm. let down by this film because (laughs) i i love the florida project so much and i thought that this film basically lacked the charm of that movie yeah which of course that was through the lens of a six-year-old and everything is kind of sweet and innocent in that context but this is through the lens of a total narcissist Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i just don't like being in that lens for that long so that's fair i at the beginning i will say in general this film is a character study broad yes right of mikey saber and at the beginning yeah you kind of can't help but like him Right, Mm -hmm. you're laughing with him. He's got that sort of relentlessly optimistic salesman quality, where it's like, you know, he totally believes that his next big product is going to be the one that makes him his millions, even as his bank account is like screaming for help, and he doesn't know what that product even is. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And you want to root for him, kind of, because that is the like American underdog capitalist story. And he's charming and like effervescent in his delivery and everything. So I was like, okay, cool. But then the veneer disappears and you just yeah. see this like gross person. And yeah. I don't know. It just, it's, I thought it was still interesting. And there was a lot that I appreciated about the film, but I, I just didn't like love it in mm. the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Sinclair? Yeah. I, I think that Sean Baker has really made a name for himself telling stories about people who are generally overlooked or maybe have stigmas mm-hmm. around them. And he basically likes to shine a light on a not-so-flattering side of America. Generally, with his films, there is a degree of empathy that's brought to these characters. And Red Rocket definitely strays from that in mm-hmm. terms of, yeah, this film is exploring this lead character not necessarily having the goal of of getting the audience to sympathize or empathize with him. He definitely has distinguished Sean Baker. He's definitely distinguished Mm. between what a issue film is that he does and what is Mm. a character study film. Mm. And Mm. this one doesn't fall into a social issue film. It definitely falls more into a character study. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this movie is not The Florida Project. (laughs) Totally, yeah. Um, And I absolutely adore The Florida Project. That's one of, I think, my favorite movies ever. But what I love so much about Sean Baker is that he brings you into a world 
and you are like a fly on the wall in mm-hmm. that world. And I love I love filmmakers that are able to do that because it's like you're cap you're capturing life as it mm-hmm. is. He tends to hire a lot of non-actors mm-hmm. and is able to get performances out of them that I I find to be so intriguing. And I think as a director, like that's just such a feat. And the fact that mm-hmm. he can see that in everyday people is wonderful. And even, I mean, when, when we get into performances, we can talk a little bit more about the casting and how all these people came to be in this movie. But even from that perspective, he doesn't like to go through agents. He'll find someone that he likes and he'll talk to them directly. Like he doesn't really do the whole Hollywood thing. <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of bypasses that. But yeah, I mean... When this movie started, for about the first hour of this movie, I was I was fully in. I was so excited to see where it was going to go. I was also texting you guys at the same time and then realized like, oh, okay, Edison didn't like this movie. What's going to happen? And when he first meets Strawberry, I thought, oh, he's going to fall in love with this girl and it's going to be like turn this disgusting man into like somebody sweet. And that is not what <laughs> I mean, thank and God so, it didn't become that. No, I know. I know. This film would um, not have gotten away with what it did if it had done that. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but then where it does go, I mean, it. this is not a character that you want to root for at all. However, mm-hmm. Simon Rex is so likable and charismatic mm-hmm. in this role. You enjoy watching him. And that's what, how I felt the whole time. I was like, I am so entertained by this movie. I think it's really funny. And I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens because I know this is going to blow up in some way. And yeah. I kind of want to watch the disaster. So I definitely will give this film a couple of things for sure. One <laughs> is that he really, Sean Baker really can just place you there. Yeah, yeah. There is not a single question or shred of doubt that anything in this film is is inauthentic. Everything right. is absolutely accurate, like absolutely yeah. real. You just yeah. know that. You can smell smell it. You can feel the humidity yeah. in the air. It's yeah. it's there. It's visceral. That experience is really unique. And especially when you're showing stories and showing these little chunks and pockets of America that most people just turn away from rather mm-hmm. than shine a light on. I think that that is actually really cool. And I really mm-hmm. very much admire him for that. The film was a bit long for me. There was one yeah, point in the middle I where I paused to like get a drink. And I was like, mm. Jesus, shit, I'm only halfway through. But then nonetheless, like as it was rolling along, <laughs> I still was like, well, I need to know what happens next. Like I yeah. wasn't ever bored at all. Uh, yeah. So I agree with you there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing to just go back to what you said, Sinclair, earlier, where you were talking about the empathy. Mm-hmm. I think that this is definitely a choice that he's made in this film not to go in that route. Like and he that could is... not have gone in yeah. the empathy route. Yeah. I, I know, I get that, but I don't know that that worked for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he was... No, I'm not talking about um, Mikey. You're, mm. you're absolutely right. But what I mean is that all of the other characters in this film, I don't know. None of them seemed to be... It almost felt exploitative in a way that I didn't feel with like the Florida mm. Project because mm. I didn't really feel like he really gave these characters a sense of dignity or something. Mm. And... And I get it that that's just like a glance of what this life might be, but it just all felt so downtrodden that it it felt like I was being 
out standing outside a circus looking in or something right. and i wasn't sure whether i was making fun of them and mocking them or whether i was right. like seeing their story or whatever and well i can appreciate that as like a tool of a director to put the audience member in an uncomfortable place right don't are you uncomfortable looking at these people that exist hmm. that's that's cool but i don't know that it i don't i just i'm not sure how it landed at the mm-hmm. end you know well, it's intentional, I think, in the sense that this is definitely a commentary on Trump's America. Mm. And you'll notice in the, the background There's a lot of, of Trump film, in this movie. There is just Trump here, Trump there. And, you know, yeah. Texas has been very supportive of Trump. And, you know, when I was saying in, the, in, in my opening, Mikey Saber is a Trump in a way. He's mm. a con mm. man. He's yeah. a seducer yeah. and he's a con man. And I think what Sean Baker is trying to say here with these side characters is how easily they're seduced by him mm-hmm. and brought into his game and mm-hmm. who enable him and to cover for him. I think that this movie is about seduction in a lot of ways. And there's political mm-hmm. seduction that's kind of lingering in the background of this film that I thought was really interesting. Well, and like the fake seduction too of porn, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Edison, I think that that criticism is... I, I've heard that from other people. I was actually, I was watching a Q&A with Sean Baker, Simon Rex, Susanna Sun, and uh, Brie Elrod. I could hear the Q&A. There was a moderator, so you could hear her questions, but then you couldn't hear what the audience questions were. You would just get the responses. So right. I couldn't hear what the audience was saying, but he, Sean Baker was defending the movie and saying like, I'm sorry that you felt that way watching these characters. That wasn't my intention. I, I'm trying t- to be respectful about how I'm showcasing people who work in the sex industry and everything. Um, So I do think that some people have have had that reaction to this movie Mm. for sure. Well, it's also based on this guy. He's seen this guy when he was researching Starlet, which that is actually my favorite Sean Baker movie. I still haven't watched that one. That is an amazing movie. I haven't either. And, Mm. you know, what this focuses on somebody who works in the sex industry. But, you know, there is a unlikely friendship that happens with this older woman. And, you know, it has that Sean Baker charm to it where Mm. this one focused on maybe the worst kind of person that you'll see in the porn industry and the type that goes and recruits a 17 year old girl. This is not a love story in any way. This is a story of seduction manipulation also how some of these characters can be interested in going along with it the same like strawberry Mm -hmm. does have agency Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the one thing that i will say about sean baker is to me he it never feels like he's exploiting anything i don't even i I don't find him controversial either at all Mm. like he never feels exploitive because he is not that guy He's right. actually just a really awesome guy. Yeah. He's a big yeah. film yeah. nerd. He's an advocate for different things. Yeah. There is something that you trust in him as a director mm. where he's just not going to make you feel bad about watching the people that you're watching mm-hmm. and the stories mm-hmm. that you're watching. Yeah. And he's kind of in this filmmaker trifecta that I consider kind of this like similar filmmakers so there's Sean Baker there's the Safdie brothers and then Mm -hmm. there's Harmony Corinne the Safdie brothers show these characters but they're you know getting your heart racing and getting your brain pounding and it's a very visceral experience and then Harmony Corinne is just grim 
Like, it's just bleak. Mm. And then Sean Baker shows this side of things, but he has this charm, you know, and this well, and his colors, like again, and we'll get and into brightness. this in technical, but the, yeah. the colors in this movie and the aesthetic of this movie, and that is something that I love about his filmmaking as well, is that he juxtaposes the seedy parts of America with the bright colors of America and like how that mm-hmm. is kind of what America is. It's this flashy mm-hmm. place that's like, look mm-hmm. at us, we're amazing. Just don't lift up the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to see what's under there. But mm-hmm. this one here doesn't really have the redemption, Edison, that I think no. that you're looking for. It this is somebody who's in a cycle and they're a tornado that's coming through and the movie ends the way that it began. Yeah. Yeah. There's no lesson learned really at the end of this film, which can be mm-hmm. hard to take. Let's talk about the ending quickly mm-hmm. um, okay. and how, how we interpret that ending. Well, so the ending for me was, I thought it was made it very clear that this dude is just living in his own fantasy world. Yeah. Where it's just like, here he is at the very end. Yeah, he hasn't learned a thing. He is just going to, he has sold his own story of his own self aggrandizement to himself so thoroughly and effectively that and it has you know led allowed him to convince other people of it throughout his life it ends with his ultimate fantasy there i don't think Mm. it's real obviously i just think that's what Mm -hmm. he was thinking for himself Mm -hmm. i thought he was just seeing his meal ticket he was like right this is it this is that that's kind of like how he sees opportunities i was like Mm. every opportunity and he's seeing an opportunity every five minutes right Mm -hmm. so that was kind of like an insight, I think, into his mind on how these actually come to him. These moments, mm. that's what he sees when he sees these really selfish opportunities that he can pounce on. I think when he sees her in the donut shop and she looks up, it, mm. you have that moment of like, oh, in in a romantic comedy, it would be somebody. <laughs> the being, meet I, cute. It would be like, a meet cute. You're seeing this yeah. cute girl and you're going to fall yeah. in love. But I took but that moment like, ka-ching. as ka-ching. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Ka-ching. And you totally. know, because he's a pimp. That, he's a yeah. pimp right. at the end of the She calls him a suitcase pimp. I did look up what a suitcase pimp yeah. is. Yeah. And yeah, it's somebody that lives off of a female porn star, usually a male yeah. porn star, but lives off them and riding those coattails and. Mm-hmm. Loving that success and yeah. yeah, I mean, so the it's interesting because the end as he walks up to Strawberry's house, it's I believe it's bye 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 playing in reverse. Yeah, and yeah, she comes out, she's in the bikini, and there was a part of me that was watching that, and I was like, was Strawberry ever real? <laughs> like, mm. did she exist at all? I think Lexi all? was a Strawberry at some point. Mm, yeah, 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 it could have been that, it, and that's why it was in reverse to rewind. It's like mm. Strawberry might have even been Lexi. Like he right. might have just been revisiting their yeah. story. You know, yeah. you don't know. I agree with you, and I and I I can appreciate that open endedness of the ending. I actually like the ending as well. I like that it didn't answer it answer it for us, and it, his films never do that. It's the same Florida project too. Yeah, and so I do. Yeah, I appreciated that part of it for sure. I, I like the scene when she sung too, because it's like you're mm-hmm. seeing this talent shine mm-hmm. through and this like na- natural potential to do something else, and you know yeah. that she's just gonna go with with Mikey. Yeah, and just go downhill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did y'all look up what the title? Means. Yeah, I actually knew what that meant. Oh, you did? Did yes. you? How? Because I've heard that before. Sinclair knows this kind of stuff. I know She's this kind Windsor. of weird shit. Come on. <laughs> P. 
pig dog, <laughs> red rocket. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, this is such a Sinclair thing. Well, so for, and for any of those who are listening, um, the red, a red rocket could be a slang term for when a dog gets a boner. And their yeah. little red rocket pops on out, and I, I just thought that was perfect because th- it's like he's, he's the a dog. Red dog. Yeah, he's a yeah. pig dog. If ever yeah. there was one, he's a pig yeah. dog. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would like to quickly talk about performances. Yes, absolutely. So again, so Simon Rex, really interesting career. We've touched mm-hmm. on that at the beginning. Like, I none of us really like Sinclair. You knew him as an MTV VJ. Yeah. I my only reference point was I was like I'm pretty sure he dated Paris Hilton at some point. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like he's ever been like actually famous or ever had mm-hmm. a role like this. A lead. Yeah, role I didn't of- even know his name. I saw his face and I was like, oh, I recognize that face, but I I would never have been able to say what his name was. Right. And so, yeah, he's been in the scary movie movies, but like, right. This is a t- uh, this is a lead character with a fuck ton. Mm-hmm. of work to do as mm-hmm. an actor and yep. i thought he was like extraordinary me too so sean baker had him in mind for this role like him and his writing partner came up with this idea of wanting to do a movie about a suitcase pimp as you said sinclair when they were researching starlet mm-hmm. and so he had this in mind from the beginning he wanted it to be simon rex and i don't think we've mentioned this yet but simon rex did do porn mm. at the very beginning of his career oh edison knows <laughs> I did maybe do a bit of research about that. He did do but now. I I will say it's a stretch to say that he's like a porn star. He d- only made two right. videos, yeah, and they were solo videos, yeah. Um, but That's to just, just quickly like tie back to the question about prosthetics, yeah, Edison. Uh, the people need to know. Did you do the your people research? do need to know? I did my research, and Simon. So there's a couple of Simon Rex's penis is yeah. Mikey's penis is uh, yeah. heavily featured. Heavily yes. featured throughout this film, um, and you one can't help but wonder whether it's real or prosthetic. And just f- having done a little bit of research in his uh, past history, I <laughs> though he has been quite coy in interviews, I will say it's uh, probably not prosthetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So anyway, uh, Sean Baker had him in mind for this role and had a friend of a friend who knew him. They decided to make this movie during COVID because Sean Baker wanted to make a different movie but then couldn't because of COVID mm-hmm. and got a hold of Simon Rex, didn't go through his agent, just called him directly and said, hey, can you uh, send me a self-tape for this? Simon Rex did like a cold read of a monologue, sent it to him and Sean Baker was like, yeah, okay, can you come to Texas? And <laughs> they were starting to, they were shooting in like a week or something. Oh my like, God. Yeah, can you come here? But if you fly, you'll have to quarantine for two weeks. So you need to drive. So he drove for three days. <laughs> wow. To get to Texas. And when he showed up, he had the entire script memorized. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Amazing. I know. And I'm like, but how? Like this Q&A that I was watching, Sean Baker was like, I don't understand how you did that. Like, how were you able to do that? That's and drive a lot. To it's Texas? a fuck ton of lines. He carries this entire yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. he just live out in the Mojave Desert and just freaking yeah, chill? And he he's lives probably off the just grid. chilling and like decided to jump on this opportunity. Yep. <laughs> I need to say because I'm surprised you guys haven't been like, you didn't mind this one, Sinclair, but you hate it. Uncut jobs. Well, uncut jobs. Uncut jobs. <laughs> <laughs> These are like similar chaotic characters in a lot of ways, right? And one thing with uncut gems was. I can't even say it now without uncut saying jams. uncut jobs. 
I know. But because the actual film is so chaotic and it's right. and it's so stress inducing and there's mm. so much stimulus. I was like already put in a bad mood where like I couldn't even fathom giving anything to this yeah. main character. Where Red Rocket definitely didn't annoy me to watch. So mm. I could actually just sit and think about Mikey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is that like Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems was so ceaselessly irritating very annoying yeah (laughs) that i just couldn't just screaming in every single moment it was awful there was zero charm yeah whereas actually what simon rex brought to this character was a fuck ton of charisma and charm oh yeah he's also hot guys he's He's so hot he looks like he looks like if channing tatum were actually a male stripper in florida and then just like kept that job (laughs) for all those years (laughs) like yeah for real um yeah he's actually hot and Mm -hmm. and the thing is because at the beginning of the film all that charm it builds and builds and builds it is what allows you to still somehow weirdly (laughs) almost root for him when he's like when he becomes despicable and so you feel and then you're at odds with that which i do appreciate as well i see it's funny because i was never rooting for him while watching this i just was laughing and i'm i was just thinking this guy's such a piece of crap i i you know (laughs) know. he's such a bag of shit and you know i was such a likable bag of shit he wasn't like yeah he's charming he's actually not even that likable and i was okay with the fact that he was just a piece of shit and this movie just let him be a piece of shit like i would rather (laughs) see a character be that with a 17 year old girl than watch some Mm. you know you know woody allen older man having an existential crisis liking a teenager like it always Mm -hmm. comes down to the psychology of this older character and a young character's breathing new life into their you know mundane existence where this is just a piece of shit preying on someone and you actually have more respect for the film because it doesn't disguise it as anything other than he's just a bad guy (laughs) you know and those Uh, that's a hundred percent that's a hundred percent true if he didn't bring so much charm to the performance, you would have just been watching an irritating bag of shit mm. and there would have been no joy in watching the film at mm-hmm. that point. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. So Brie Elrod, who plays Lexi, uh, I was curious about her because she reminded me of uh, Brie Vinite, I believe is how you say her name, from Florida Project, and she was mm-hmm. a non-actor. So I was curious if Brie was, and she is not. She is an actress mm-hmm. and has been an actress for a very long time. Uh, like classically trained, does a lot of theater. And again, it was like a friend of a friend of uh, Sean Baker's who uh, knew Brie and said, I think you could do a good job playing this ex-porn star who's a heroin addict. And she's like, yes, sweet, I'll be there. (laughs) She's like, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One more cool thing to talk about, Susanna Sun, who played Strawberry. So she was discovered by Sean Baker outside of a movie theater in L.A., Years ago, he saw her and said, hey, I'm a filmmaker. Here's my card. I you look interesting to me or something like that. And then three years later says, can you audition for this part? Okay, yeah, it's yours. Sean Baker just has such a vision that he could see a random person on the street and say, oh, you're this character and Mm -hmm. have it be successful. 
because I think she's really great too. Mm-hmm. All right, technical. So this was all shot on 16 millimeter film, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. And we have mentioned this briefly already, but I just love the color in his films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His movies are like cotton candy. <laughs> It tastes like yeah, but like real ash. cotton candy. It's it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. It's not cotton candy like a Dave LaChapelle photo shoot. It's mm. cotton candy like in At this the weird, fair. yeah, through like a weird gritty lens. It's true. It is a real standout. Like. Even the very last, that last shot at the ending with him walking down the street and the blue sky and the grass is so green and her house is so pink. It's like, it's a lot of that. I really appreciate that. He manages to make this world feel very much like an authentic place, but still infused with this, this sort of pops of dynamism and color that are really beautiful. And Mm -hmm. the way it's shot is great too. Mm -hmm. Texas has a really great aesthetic. I I guess that, a lot of porn stars come out of Florida and mm. come out of Texas. Right. And he was like, I already shot a film in Florida. Right. So, yeah. Texas it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a fun donut throwback too to Tangerine as well. Right. Yeah. 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 All righty. Shall we do the last word? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Edison, last word on Red Rocket. So the last word for me is that I thought that there was a lot to enjoy about this film. And I definitely have a lot of respect and admiration for Sean Baker as a filmmaker in terms of the types of stories that he's telling or or just like the way that he goes on totally on just his own road, right? I thought that the performance, the central performance from Simon Rex was really great. And there was a lot of comedy in this film. I wasn't in love with it. I thought it was a bit too long, a bit too cynical. I spent a little bit too much time in that character's head. And I wasn't like over the moon for that part of it, for the just the experience of watching the film. But yeah, there was definitely a lot to enjoy, for sure. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sinclair? Sinclair? Yeah, I don't think this is Sean Baker's best film. I do think it's like, it's very interesting. I thought Simon Rex was great. Exactly, Edison. You may not want to watch this character or the themes in this. Yeah. It might make you uncomfortable. But overall, it's Sean Baker. And if you didn't like this movie, you're going to like his next one probably. So it's fine. <laughs> I think that he's a really solid director. And maybe this one just isn't for you. Or maybe it is. But it this one will definitely be a very unique addition to his filmography. And I, mm. I think he's a... He's just a cool guy and he's a great director and I always look forward to his films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this movie's not Florida Project. I did not feel the same way about this as I felt about the Florida Project. However, I love his vision. I love the stories that he tells. I love that I feel like I'm a fly on the wall in these lives that I would otherwise probably never be a part of. And yeah, the Simon Rex performance is really great. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And if you would like to get, become a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks for listening.